Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Welcome back, Bible Center family. It's so great to have you here again, coming back to dig deeply into God's Word, to worship together. Uh, welcome back. Those of you who are joining us online, around the country, around the, the, uh, uh, the world, wherever you are, even around our city, thank you for tuning in with us. We'd love to have you here uh, next time you're in the Charleston area. Well, if you're new to Bible Center, I'm Pastor Matt, and every Sunday we gather as followers of Jesus, and I typically give a message uh, geared mostly for those who are followers of Jesus, but if you have any questions this morning, if there's anything that I say that you uh, want to ask about or think about, I'll be out in the lobby uh, after the service and would love to talk more with you, and we want to help you become part of our circle of spiritual friends. Go ahead and take your Bible or your Bible app, if you will. Turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 3 uh, in a moment. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a story about a man named Ira, a man named Ira Yates. Iris grew, Ira grew up in Texas. His father died at age 6, and by age 11, he was already working full-time as a peanut farmer with his brother. Uh, he eked out an existence, as most people did, who lived in the years leading up to the Great Depression. And uh, he was a cowboy some, he, he managed neighbors' ranches some, but he was motivated by two things. One, he wanted to take care of his family, and two, he wanted one day to own his own ranch. That was a big deal to him. Well, one day his opportunity finally came. A businessman in town there in southwestern Texas had a 16,000-acre plot of land, and it wasn't really doing him any good. He didn't know if he could, anybody could do anything with it, but he told Ira, I'll sell you this property for a good price, and I'll even help you find the financing. Uh, this will be your opportunity to, one, to uh, build a life and to build a ranch. And so Ira did just that. His friends advised him against it. They tried to talk him out of it. One of his friends says that this plot of land wasn't even good enough for a buffalo uh, to walk across. Uh, another friend said, uh, this land isn't good enough for a crow to fly across. Uh, but he did it anyway. He was excited to pursue his dream. Well, within one year, he nearly went bankrupt. Not only could he not pay uh, the payments on time, but he also couldn't even pay the taxes. And so in one last ditch effort, he called a local oil company in to see if maybe, just maybe, they could find oil. Well, 1926, they started drilling. 500 feet, no oil. 800 feet, no oil. 1,000 feet, no oil. And finally, when they hit almost 1,100 feet, Oil shot out in a gusher like few had seen before, and they discovered that Ira's property, that good-for-nothing ranch, actually proved to be the most productive pumping oil reserve ever discovered in the United States of America. It, to this day, still produces oil and has produced not millions, but billions of barrels of oil, and Ira and his family became millionaires overnight. Here's my question. Since he owned the mineral rights to that property, did he own the oil even before he realized he had oil underneath the surface? Was he really technically, technically could you say that he was a rich man even when he didn't know he was a rich man? I would say that he was. 
He owned that oil, even even though he didn't know it was there. But one day, when he finally discovered what was his, he could live the life he had always dreamed. You know, I think this morning I'm preaching to some men, some women, and some students, and you're a lot like Ira. You, as a follower of Jesus, have all the riches that God wants you to have in your spiritual walk with Christ, but maybe you're not yet aware of it. And so I'm excited to preach this message. Actually, I'm excited to preach this series because I want to tell you about all the riches you have in Christ. And when you see it, my prayer is that you will know that you have been made for more. Let's go ahead and dive in and see what God has done for us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Please stand with me out of respect for the Bible. Ephesians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ Jesus when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were also marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What is it that I want you to know? What do I think we could, how how can we summarize this passage? Well, I think we can summarize it in one sentence, and it's this. All of God has worked through all of time to save all of us. God, all of God has worked through all of time to save all of us. Tomorrow when you're at work and somebody asks at the water cooler, what was the message about today? I hope you can memorize these 14 words. All of God has worked through all of time to save all of us. And really for the next few minutes, all I'm going to do is unpack that statement based upon these verses. First of all, what do we mean by all of God? You can see the notes in your app or on the bulletin, whatever's best for you. This idea of being all of God, I'm referring to the Trinity, the triune nature of God. The Bible is clear there's only one God, creator, sustainer, and ruler of all. However, God is one in three persons, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent. One in essence, yet distinct in person and office, dwelling in perfect harmony. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all had a role to play in your salvation. First of all, let's look at God the Father. What did the Father do? Well, number one, the Father initiated your salvation. He initiated your salvation. Look with me at verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's important for us to see that the Father is the one who always takes the initiative. Especially in this passage, there are 24 verbs in these 14 verses, and 20 of the 24 are done by God himself. We only do four of the verbs. We believe, we hope, we listen, we receive, but it's God who does the initiating. Verse 4 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This word chose is the language of Israel applied to the church. Just as God looked out over the nations and chose in the Old Testament and the small nation of Israel to be the, the keepers of his old covenant, of his Old Testament, he chose the church to be the keepers of this new covenant, this new testament. And the very name church means called out assembly. We're a called out, we're a chosen people. Jesus taught the same thing in his parables. If you remember the parable of the, the sheep and the shepherd, here's my question. Did the sheep go looking for the shepherd or did the shepherd go looking for the sheep? Do you remember? The shepherd went looking for the sheep. And in Jesus' preaching and teaching, he taught the same thing that Paul was teaching in Ephesians chapter 1. He said in, in John chapter 6 and verse 37, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, sometimes it's good to pull in some heroes. Uh, every church, every movement of God has heroes to whom we look. And one of our heroes at Bible Center is a man named Charles Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon. He was a pastor in London, one of the first mega churches in the modern world. And Spurgeon said this. He said, I have no question that God chose me because I'm quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. So I feel like I am forced to accept this doctrine. There's another one of our heroes around here. And if you're new to the church, you'll eventually hear this name some, David Jeremiah, pastor in California. He writes this, the subject of God's choosing immediately raises questions. But after a thorough study of the subject of God's choosing, I can safely tell you what it means. God chose us. If words have meaning, and they do, then that's what the Bible means when it says, He chose us in Him. No one can comprehend or explain it. 
how or why some are chosen and others were not, it is a mystery. All we can say is that God's choosing is a matter of his wisdom and grace and rejoice if we find ourselves among the chosen. Now, a subject like this, how does it make you feel? When I read verse 4 a moment ago where God clearly says he chose us, what's going through your mind? If, you're like a, if we're like a typical church, and I think we are, about half of us are really, really excited right now, and half of us are really, really confused or even, maybe even disturbed. So if you're among that second group, if you're among the group or are a little uncomfortable, let me give you some words of encouragement. One, these aren't in your notes. These are just from your pastor. Trust God's word more than you trust your system. Trust God's word more than you trust your system. For some reason, we Christians love systems, right? And so we have isms for everything, little systems that we come up with because it helps us make sense of God like we could ever fully make sense of God. And, and so if that's you and you're like, well, wait a minute, verse 4 doesn't fit my system. Well, stop reading God's word through your system and start reading your system through God's word. So let's just trust God's word even when we don't understand it. Number two, Leave the questionable things for God to figure out. God's God, and we're not, and that's okay. We don't have to have it all figured out. I love Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. My great aunt Becky, who has now gone on to be with Jesus, she lived in Clay County for years, and we would go see her and Uncle Jim. She would make us, usually she'd make us these like floor mats. She also loved to quilt and for my mom and, and our aunts, but she would make the kids floor mats. And our favorite floor mats she would make cost her a little bit of nothing except time. She made them out of bread bags. She would take these bags and weave them into these beautiful, huge floor mats. And we loved them as kids, you know, stepping out of bed with bare feet. But you had to make sure they were flipped the right way. Because if they were upside down, the, the underbelly, the, the backside of the floor mat really didn't look good. The colors didn't match. There was pieces of ends tied off and little knots, and it didn't look good. But when you flipped the floor mat over, it was this beautiful tapestry of color. It all made sense. And that's why I think we need to see Ephesians chapter 1 in this way. One day, God is going to flip the floor mat, and it's all going to make sense. But for now, we just trust what we don't understand. When we get to heaven, it's possible, just possible. The Bible doesn't say this, but it's possible. Use your imagination that on the outside of the gate of heaven, there could be this Bible verse inscribed, whosoever believes has eternal life. But once we walk through heaven's gate, what if we find this verse inscribed on the inside, chosen before the foundation of the world? So if you're uncomfortable, remember those three things. Now, if you are rooting me on right now, and some of you have texted me this week, you've messaged me because you know we're in Ephesians 1, and you couldn't wait for me to get to Ephesians 1. By the way, thank you for the notes of encouragement. As a word-motivated person, I really do appreciate it. But maybe you're here and you're like, yes, finally, Ephesians 1. I have a couple, a few encouragements for you, and they happen to be the exact same as the other group. Number one, trust God's word more than you trust your system. If you think you have it all figured out, you don't. And if you meet somebody who says that they have the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man all figured out, run from them as fast as you can run. 
because none of us have it figured out. That's why we trust. Number two, leave the questionable things for God to figure out. And number three, praise and worship the Lord. I meant to mention that before. Praise and worship the Lord even when you don't understand. God did not give us Ephesians 1 as a science project. He didn't give us Ephesians 1 to argue about while we're sitting at the buffet table. He gave us Ephesians 1 to worship. And so when things come in the Bible that we don't understand, we can worship the Lord because he is so much greater than our minds can ever comprehend. One day somebody asked me, Pastor Matt, do you think that you contribute anything to your salvation? And of course we believe, the Bible says that, but when they ask me, do you believe you can contribute anything to your salvation? My answer is always this, I absolutely do. I think I contributed a lot to my salvation, a lot of sin. I did the sinning so Jesus could do the saving. That's all you contributed, and that's all I contributed as well. In verse 4, at the end of verse 4, there's two words. He says, in love, still talking about the Father. Most scholars believe that that should be connected to verse 5. We know the verses and chapters aren't inspired. But he says, in love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This predetermination was motivated by a particular love. And the love wasn't just this wishy-washy love. It was a love to something right here in the text. It was a love to adoption. He adopted us into his family. He made us part of his family for his pleasure. God enjoyed saving you. He enjoyed the whole process that led up to it. It says it was for his pleasure and it was his will. This afternoon, if you're talking to somebody about whose will, free will, their will, really the only will that matters is God's. God wanted you in his family and moved heaven and earth to get you there. Verse six, he says, this is all to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. God didn't choose us because we were lovely. We became lovely because he chose us. God didn't choose you because you were lovely. You're lovely because he chose you. The Father initiated your salvation. Now quickly, we're going to see that the Son and the Spirit also played a role in your salvation. What did the Son do? Well, number two... The Son purchased your salvation. The Son purchased your salvation. In the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1, Jesus is mentioned either by name or by pronoun 15 times. God the Father initiates your salvation, but he did not purchase your salvation. By that I mean this. God the Father wasn't born in Bethlehem. God the Father did not die on the cross. God the Son died on the cross. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now in verse seven and eight, notice what Paul writes. Talking about Jesus here in context. He says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Jesus purchased your salvation 
with his blood. Now, most scholars believe that Paul here is actually referring back to the book of Exodus, and that excites me for several reasons. Next summer, we're actually going to go through story by story through the book of Exodus. We've been doing summer in the Psalms for the last few years, uh, but our pastors really feel that we, we could spend some time in the Old Testament next summer. And so we're going to start at Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to work all the way through to the end of the book. But if you remember in the book of Exodus, if you're from the church, if you've been in the church a long time, you remember that in the Old Testament, there's this true story of God saving his people out of Egypt. And remember the plague where God was going to bring judgment on all of Pharaoh's family and all the families of Egypt. But he said, I will redeem you. I'm going to save you. But they had to put something over the doorposts of their house. Do you remember what that was? It was the blood. It was the blood. He uses the word redemption and blood. And Paul uses that same thing here and says, Jesus is like the new Moses. Jesus is leading us on a new exodus. He's the greater Moses. Jesus purchased for us what a regular lamb could never do. Notice in verse 8, it says he lavished on us this forgiveness. He lavished on us this redemption. When you think of lavish, this is what came to my mind this week. came to my mind when I go to Dairy Queen and get my favorite uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Blizzard, right? Do you know you can actually ask them for extra peanut butter cups? And I think it's like $1.50 or $1.99 more. Now, I always check. I'm kind of like Ronald Reagan in this way, trust but verify. So if I'm going to pay the, like, the additional $1.99, I'm going like, to like look, say, come on, man, these, this is not extra. Like a half of one is not worth $1.99. But you can, this week when you go to Dairy Queen and say, I want you to lavish me with Reese cups, right? <laughs> it means to pour it on thick. And that's what God's saying here. For some reason, in our minds, we think God kind of forgave us, right? Like, he forgave us from some stuff, but not totally. The gospel is a lavish gospel. God has forgiven you past, present, and future. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, when God the Father sees you, if you've put your faith in Christ, he sees you just as righteous as Jesus. You say, come on, man. If that's true, if that's really true, that's going to give Christians a license to sin, Pastor Matt. Well, I think Christians are doing pretty well without a license. If we believe that, the Bible says the love of Christ constrains us. You're righteous because of Jesus. Number three, the Spirit applied your salvation. Look with me in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who's the deposit guaranteeing of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. The Spirit applied your salvation. Think with me for a moment about how you came to faith in Jesus. Somebody shared the gospel with you. You, you heard about your sin. You recognized you were a sinner. You saw that Jesus was righteous and that you were not. 
you believed. Maybe it was a mom or dad. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Somebody shared the gospel with you, and you believe that. Of course, I'm preaching to Christians. You believe that he died, was buried, and rose again. You wanted to escape the judgment to come. Guess who, who it was that convicted you of all that? It was the Holy Spirit. John 16 says the Spirit's the one that reminds us of, of, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And it was actually the Spirit who opened your heart and opened your mind to even be able to believe. One of our favorite chapters as Christians is John 3, John 3, 16. But sometimes we forget about the first 15 verses of John. I would encourage you this week in your devotions to read the first 15, cha- first 15 verses of John chapter 3 because it tells us, yes, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, but it also tells us we couldn't even believe that if the Spirit didn't make it possible for us to believe that truth. The Spirit sealed your salvation. He became the deposit guarantee that you can never lose what God has given you in eternal life. All of God has worked through all of time to save all of us. Now, what do we mean by all of time? This is really simple, or a big concept, but we're going to try to say it simply. Number one, in eternity past. God has worked through all of time, so we'll start, number one, with eternity past. Look up in verse four with me. In verse four, he says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So that means in eternity past, God had you on his mind. Maybe you feel like people have forgotten you. You feel like no one even cares you're here. No one even knows you're there. God hasn't forgotten you. If you're a follower of Christ, that should warm your heart. In eternity past, he was working for your salvation. But also, number two, right here and now, right here as you sit at Bible Center Church, he has worked and is working for your good and eternal goodness. Look with me in Ephesians 1, verse 1. Back in the very first verse, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus. So they were in Ephesus, just like you're in Charleston. God was concerned with them in space and time, just like he's concerned with you in space and time. But they were not only in Ephesus, but they were also in Christ. I can't fully explain this, and I'm looking forward to studying it more as we get into chapter 2. But somehow, Jesus' identity was their identity. And by the way, Jesus' identity is your identity. So they were in Ephesus, we're in Charleston, and we're all in Christ if we put our faith in him. And he even calls them in this verse a holy people. Some of your translations say saints. That means right now, God calls you a saint. You say, well, Pastor Matt, I really don't feel like a saint. Well, 63 times in the New Testament, God calls his followers saints. So that's your identity, whether we feel like it or not. And that's why he can say what he says in verse 2, grace and peace to you. The only way we can have grace and peace is because God has made us holy. Another way to reword verse 2 is like this. God has given you favor and friendship, grace and peace. God has made it possible for you to have peace with God and the peace of God. Eternity past, right here and now, and then the last aspect of time is in the future. It's in the future. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. 
to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's God's power that not only saved you in the past, keeps you saved in the present, but will also keep you for all of eternity. That's why Jesus said in John 14, one through three, let not your heart be troubled. Some of you came in this morning, your hearts are troubled. I know the feeling, I've been there and I'll be there again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are what? Many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This salvation is both past, present, and in eternity future. All of God has worked through all of time to save all of us. Now, lastly, what do we mean to save all of us? What do we mean by that phrase? Of course, we're not talking about every person who's ever lived because the Bible tells us there are many who won't put their faith in Christ. But again, I'm preaching to the church. I'm preaching to followers of Jesus. Two things to remember before we're done. Number one, God offers salvation to the whole world because Jesus died for the whole world. God offers salvation for the whole world, legitimately offers salvation for the whole world because Jesus died for the whole world. Now in full transparency, Ephesians chapter one is not about this. All right, so I'm, I'm giving you this. This is extra. This is free. We're not going to charge you for this this morning. But I, I feel like as a pastor, I, kn I know where our congregation is. And I think I, I need to say that and we need to be reminded of that. Even though the whole world will not be saved, Jesus died for the whole world. Let's remember Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus says, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But he said, you were not willing. They were not willing. 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, if you ever doubt whether or not Jesus legitimately died for the whole world, 2 Peter 2 1 says this, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. They secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. These heretics were on their way to a Christless eternity. But God says they denied whom? They denied the Lord who bought them. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 1 John 2, 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Revelation 22, 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires let him take of the waters of life freely. Even though the blood of Christ is only efficient for those who believe, the blood of Christ is sufficient to save the world. Let us never forget that. May we always have a heart that Jesus had for the whole world. But lastly, number two, this is what Ephesians 1 is all about. But we, the church... 
were made to enjoy a special union with Christ and one another for the praise of his glory. We, the church, have a special union with Jesus and one another. Verses 9 and 10, they say, are the theme verses of the whole book. So as we spend the next eight weeks and then again in the spring going through Ephesians, let's remember verses 9 and 10. The end of verse 8 into verse 9, he says, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What was the mystery? What was hidden in the Old Testament that became known in the New Testament? Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. One way to word the summary, the theme of the book of Ephesians is that we have union with Christ and unity with one another. That's Ephesians chapter 1 through 6. We have union with Christ and unity with one another. That means there's no reason we should be here this morning because we don't have everything in common. I'm preaching to Republicans and Democrats, people of different ethnicities and preferences, people who eat differently and drink differently and vote differently and vacation differently. But that's the beauty of the church. We're not here because we're all alike. We're here because we all have the same Lord. That's why we're here. And if you were to go back in time to the Old Testament and interview an Old Testament Jew, and you were to say, there's coming a day... You say there's coming a day when Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile alike, are going to be brought together as the people of God. Some of them may have thought you were crazy. There's no way they'll ever get along. But it's in Christ we all can find unity because we have the same Lord. All of God has worked through all of time to save all of us. Now, what would I want you to do this morning? What's the takeaway from this message? Well, it's simple. I'm going to ask you to do two things, and neither are very hard. I'm going to ask you, one, to pick up a booklet out in the lobby, and two, I'm going to ask you to pick up a brochure. The booklets are out in the lobby. They're also on the app if you prefer digital, uh, on the website. A lot of people prefer that, but we have hundreds of them printed and ready for you, totally free. Stop by, pick one up. We want you to have them. And if you'll take those with you, you can study verse by verse through the book of Ephesians as we walk through this, really between now and next Easter. We're going to be in Ephesians, except for a New Year's series and Christmas series. So pick up the booklet, study, go deep in God's Word, but also pick up a brochure. They're in the seat back in front of you. They're also, again, on the app, they're on the web, there's some out in the lobby. It'll help you find a group that way you can connect and experience this unity that we find in Christ. Why do I want you to do this? Why would we be so passionate about you getting in God's word and getting in with one another? Well, the answer is simple. Because we believe all of God has worked through all of time to save all of us. The Father planned your salvation. The Son purchased your salvation. And the Spirit applied your salvation. He's worked in eternity past right here and now, and in eternity future. And God offers the salvation to the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world. But we, the church, were made 
we can say we were called to enjoy a special union with Christ and with one another for the praise of His glory. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.